In the market for investment-worthy bags, watches, and fine jewelry, Rebag is the answer. Rebag is a luxury resale platform where each piece is carefully inspected by experts to ensure quality and authenticity. Use Rebag to buy and sell finds from the world's top brands, including Louis Vuitton, Chanel, and Cartier. Head to Rebag.com and get up to 15% off your first purchase as a member with code REBAGNEW. Shop today at Rebag.com. That's R-E-B-A-G.com. And use promo code REBAGNEW for up to 15% off your first purchase as a member. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my Upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Podcast ruined watching Bake Off. Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of The Bake Down, the podcast where we review each episode of this season's Great British Bake Off. I'm Sarah. I'll be your host. And with me, we have the lovely Jane Beadle, Dan Beasley Harling, and Howard Middleton. And this week, we will be discussing Desserts Week. Now, before we get started, let me just say a huge thank you to everyone who's joined us for one of our Bake Along mystery classes, where you can join one of our legends and bake along with either the signature or the technical challenge from that week's episode. This week, we'll be tackling steamed sticky toffee puddings with Bake Off finalist Ian Cumming on Sunday, the 16th of October. If you'd like to join any of our classes, head over to bakewithalegend.com and use code PODCAST to get 10% off your next class. Another huge thank you to everyone who has sent in lovely thoughts and comments about our podcast. We love bringing it to you guys each year. And if anyone wants to send us a little extra love, if you could head to the review section and leave this podcast a review, we would be very grateful. So it was desserts week. We had a steamed pudding signature, a no method lemon meringue technical and a surprise mousse dessert showstopper. But let's go to our steamed pudding signature. A few stodgy puddings and a few collapsed ones. But Howard, let's start off with you. What did you think of the steamed puddings signature? Well, I thought it was a lovely I thought it was a lovely challenge, but I must admit this this is this year's Belgian buns for me. Uh you know last last year I I had to admit that I'd never heard of a Belgian bun and Dan was absolutely horrified <laughs> by that. And, you know, I've never heard of steaming a pudding in the oven. So I've baked uh, puddings in the oven. I've steamed puddings many, many times in a steamer. But the idea that you can pop a pudding into the oven uh, in a tray of water and call that a steamed pudding was a new one to me. So I've learned something. Yeah. (laughs) Jane, is this something that's new to you as well? Yeah, completely. I... uh... I think it, it, it could lead to disasters, as it obviously did for poor old Carol. Um, I always put mine in a large saucepan. Um, and you either use a trivet, for those who don't know what a trivet is, it's a metal thing that lifts the pudding off the bottom of the saucepan. If you haven't got a trivet, you can crunch up some um, foil um, and just rest it on there. Anything that lifted off saucer. Some people use saucers just to, just so the bottom doesn't get overcooked on the bottom of the saucepan. Um, and then you just steam it for a large pudding can be an hour and a half. And for little those little puddings that they were doing, 45 minutes to an hour. And they steam brilliantly. And you don't have to worry about how hot your water goes into the oven. So I would have thought in this day and age when we're trying to conserve energy, it would be better to steam it on the hob rather than in the oven um 
Um, and and you, you stand much less of a chance of failure, to be honest. But yeah, like like Howard, learned something new there. Um. Yeah. Actually, uh, me too. I've never seen. Oh, God. Like... <laughs> yeah, I, 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 as I was sort of Jane was uh, talking, that's exactly what my mother always did: is she would put an upturned saucer in a in a large saucepan and steam a, a big one on the stove on the hob. Um. So yeah, this was all new to me. Um. But yeah, I I don't make a lot of steamed puddings. I make um. What something my mother called a Sussex pond pudding, but on reflection isn't. It's made with syrup and the lemon juice instead. And I make a, a sticky toffee pudding from time to time, but that's about it. I'm, I don't think we've made many steam puddings since the 1600s, have we, Jane? Do you remember? Oh, that? I, I, well, I've clearly been around since the 1600s. Because <laughs> when, whenever the family are here, I make them quite frequently in the winter. My brothers, he used to have something called good pud, and it was basically. It was a syrup pudding, and you just put butter your thing, and you put in your your pudding basin, and you put in a load of golden syrup, and then you make a really nice sponge and stick it on top, and then cover it over and steam that, and all the syrup then soaks into the base of the pudding, and it's just heaven with ice. Is that what you would have made if you were in the tent? Probably, but I'd have to have, you know, zhuzhed it up a bit, wouldn't I, a bit, because that wouldn't be good. But interestingly... Maybe you could have put a miso in it or something. Pardon? Or maybe a bit of miso, <laughs> a bit of miso. A bit of miso, yeah, or, or even sweet corn would have been a, a delight. Oh, wow. <laughs> um, but I think Prue mentioned a nice sort of syrup or treacle pudding at the beginning as being one of the classics. So, yeah, I, just, I would have possibly just judged that one because it is absolutely delicious but i like a steam pudding in the winter it's a cheap easy to do utterly delicious pudding yes i think that's why um a lot of uh traditional british baking is very sort of warm and comforting is because it's uh it's always a little bit cold and dark for a lot of the year isn't it and you do want a little bit of comfort and a bit of cheering up and actually mm. a steam pudding is uh, not a bad choice not a bad choice for that So we talked about Carol, uh, and I think we might be talking about Carol a lot in this episode. The first thing we saw her doing, she burnt her plums, which is not a good start. Paul said no mess-ups from now on. Prue said from now on, perfection. Howard, do you think we saw some good moves from Carol in the tent? Oh, bless her. No, I it, I, I think we, we saw that. We've seen this for a couple of weeks, haven't we, with Carol? She's just not having the greatest experience, I think. I think it's now, we're now getting to the stage where you can almost tell people who are enjoying the experience of being in the tent and some who are infuriated when when things go wrong. And Carol's tried to keep cheerful and she's been entertaining, but bless her, she's, oh, she's had some awful experiences, hasn't she? Do you know, though, she's such a, I mean, I, I say this with the greatest of affection, she's such a loose cannon, she's so fun to watch. Uh, yeah. Also. So I've really enjoyed her, but yeah, it's, um, it's, at least she knew what she did wrong, but it's, do you know what, it's, the, when I made mistakes in the tent, it was always the same thing. It was a simple mistake that you made, and you and rather than thinking, okay, I must fix that immediately, you thought, ah, it'll be all right, that'll be all right. And of course, it's never all right, is it? It just sort of continues to spiral out of control and make matters worse. So, um, yeah, she, the thing is, she knew the second she put that in, she knew it wasn't hot enough, and um, mm. she'll be kicking herself for that, I'm sure. It reminded me of, was it last year, where somebody was baking custards? Or, or something like that. And everybody else put hot water in their bain-marie and somebody put cold water in the bain-marie, which, of course, meant that it took ages to get up to temperature and didn't cook in the time, and then they had this sloppy mess. And it just reminded me of that. I, it, as you say, Dan, it is the simplest of mistakes. Why didn't she then go to somebody else, can I use your hot water tap? Mm. I don't remember having a hot water tap in the tent, but then no. we, had dark ages. we did. We had them. Yeah. Oh, did you? Oh, we yeah. didn't even have decorative tea towels. No. It was <laughs> not. No. BBC clearly didn't have the budget for those. Um, <laughs> So what about anybody else's flavours? We had some lovely flavours. Um, Shabira's maybe slightly too much flavour in her watermelon puddings. Um, Kevin maybe not quite enough 
flair um, in his Clutie dumplings. They're a little stodgy, as one of Paul's favourite words. Um, Dan, whose puddings really stood out for you? Um, well, I think Sandro's looked beautiful, um, so they stood out to me in that way. Um, I do like an apple crumble. I do like a bit of um, cherries. I thought they looked really, really beautiful. Dawn's, I thought she had a nice little bit of decoration on them, and it was a shame that, you know, they didn't look so pretty. I think Dawn struggled with presentation a little bit this week. Um, But they sounded absolutely delicious, and I I felt a bit sorry for Dawn. Um, One that struck out to me, and this was more just because of the judging, which this just threw me for a loop. And maybe you can help translate these remarks for us, um, Howard. But I think who was putting this judging? It was um, Janusz's um, pina colada pudding, and it had some coconut rum in it. And I think Paul Hollywood said it smells. It's got a very strong coconut smell. It smells like tanning lotion. Uh-huh. And I just thought, what does the, does he mean SPF or does he mean tanning lotion? Because the man already looks like a vintage mulberry handbag. I'm like, why does he want to be more tan? <laughs> I think I think he was. Uh, he said it was one that he uses. So then we have this image of Paul on a beach, kind of oh. lathering himself up with with kind of coconut oil. So Paul wants um, us to think about him in a banana hammock. So okay. yes, I get, it. I get it. That's what he was going for. I know, it just it was just a remark that threw me. I'm like, but does he mean SPF? Like, what does does anyone deliberately tan these days? Oh, yeah. Well, they do. I don't. Um, having, well, we won't go into um, my skin conditions. I assume you use furniture polish. <laughs> <laughs> I look like a vintage rehab bag, too. A fine piece of furniture, Jane. You a are. fine piece of furniture. Thank you. A good old antique. Um, like most antique tables, the legs are going. Um, <laughs> I don't know. We weren't there to smell it. And that's that's the problem, isn't it? I love the I love the paper umbrella though. I love the, the you know sheet. He, he's just he's oh, fun. Speaking, yeah. speaking to my son about him last week, and he was like, "Oh, he and his girlfriend watch it, and they love him, so they think he's going to be the winner." Just to throw that in there. Yeah, I actually have to say I'm not ready to throw Shabira under the bus yet, but I think I've definitely got Janusz pegged as a finalist. I think um, it would be uh, a sad competition without him in it. I really enjoy him. I, I, I think you're right, Dan, about about Shabira. I, I I was a bit disappointed this week, I must admit. And and Jane's picked up on this issue of like essence and extract, but that was one of the things that gave me a bit of a hump this week. That I think if you are trying to put a flavour in, and the only flavour that you can get is that kind of artificial essence, you you you're struggling. I would go for something different to get a good flavour in there rather than having to rely on on a kind of artificial essence of watermelon or something. I think you're right, actually. I made some watermelon macaron, uh, which I made more for the design purposes, and trying to get a watermelon flavour into something is actually very difficult. The closest you can get to more of a natural flavour is um, Monin, I think, sell like a watermelon syrup. But that's, oh, yeah. Um, and that actually does taste like watermelon, but it's not very practical for use in baking, actually. Um, so, yeah, I understand why she went for the extract. And I made the mistake of going for the extract in the tent myself with an apple extract, and they did not like that. So I'm not surprised they didn't like Shabira's either. But I thought they looked beautiful. And the, the mm. thought that she had about you know, baking and splitting open, I thought that was thought that was lovely I thought that was a really really wonderful thing and I also particularly like Shabira made a taro ice cream mm. and I don't know if you guys are particularly familiar with taro but I am because I have it every day um because uh I'm obsessed with bubble tea and I've stopped having <laughs> I've stopped having the pearl the tapioca pearls with it because like that's like a meal in and of itself but I love the taro tea and I have taro tea almost I pretty much do have it every single day at the moment and I love it wow. very delicate it's more of it's almost more of a perfume, more of a fragrance than a flavour. It's kind of hard to and I couldn't even tell you what it tastes of, but it's it's a very perfumey flavour. And I think that the the flavours that come from that side of the world are very subtle. And I think that um, this is something that uh, Kim Joy struggled with on our, on our season is that Prue and Paul their taste buds are maybe not the most I don't want to say refined. That's not the word I'm looking for. But like they need to be knocked with a bit of a punch. And I think sometimes those more delicate flavours really get lost on Prue and Paul. And it's not necessarily a failing of Shabira's taste. It's more just, you know, people are different, used to different flavours. And I, I thought that her sounded lovely. 
I think if she'd have got found a better way to get the watermelon incorporated, that would have been really impressive. I think Paul was very complimentary of the way they looked, and I was certainly at home enjoying them. I think you're right, Dan. I think I think there's a difference, isn't there? If you are settling down to a lovely dessert or something like that, and you're eating one portion of it, you can taste the subtlety of the flavours. Whereas with the judges, they're tasting one flavour after another, and so they, Paul often says about he wants it to punch, doesn't he? Mm. Mm. But as we get older, uh, speaking as the oldest one here, um, your taste buds do definitely need a little more exaggerated flavour. I definitely put more salt in than my kids would like. Um, and I think we just get a bit old, I think, for want of a better word. <laughs> I think maybe our taste buds do too. But I think a, a classic with Shabira, I thought they looked stunning. Um, but you have this wonderful idea and then try and make it work for a, a dessert. And, and it's great. It's a great way of working. But it then made me think, well, if watermelon didn't work, what flavours and look could you use exactly the same method but get a better result? Um, and I couldn't think of anything that would crack open and then look fab except for conkers and for anybody who doesn't know what a conker is they are horse chestnuts which are totally inedible um, but I wonder if you could make it look like a cracked open hazelnut or something I don't know because yeah. the idea was genius I thought I thought it was yeah. genius um, and the whole layers of the pink and the white and the green and the black bits um, it's just yeah watermelon flavour lovely lovely when it's a watermelon but i'm not sure i would have liked it and also there's the difference between essence isn't there an extract mm. so almond extract is pretty good because it comes from almonds um, but the essences are created in laboratory i think and that's the difference with the fake flavors like don't ever buy vanilla essence no, no. that is garbage extract is not that much more expensive Oh, Sarah's shaking her hands because apparently we were just about to be sponsored by somebody who provides essences. Lost <laughs> that one now. Yeah. Never mind. I have integrity. I have integrity. You can tell them to stick their essences. <laughs> well, somebody else who did very well was Abdul, who was sort of flying a bit under the radar for the last couple of weeks, mm. and obviously he has he has been ill for a week but did really, really well with his fig and date puddings with his lovely white chocolate figs, isomalt decorations and saffron and cardamom custard. The judges were very complimentary, saying it was moist, delicious and light as anything. Dan, what do you think about Abdul? Um, I thought they were good, um, but I have to say, um, I was obviously we jot down notes as we're watching and my comment on Abdul's was isomalt, yuck. Yes, me too. Exactly. <laughs> Everyone's nodding for the benefit of uh, the listeners. Um, Isomalt's just, it's not even gross. It's just like, it's hard and unpleasant to eat. And I just, I'm, and probably someone's going to call me out on my hypocrisy any second now, but I don't really like any kind of decoration that you don't want to eat. And I just thought, no thanks. I thought they looked all right. And I thought, you know, it's uh, they were fig and date, weren't they? And I quite like that when we have sort of um, um, a natural sweetness um, mm. Because the flavours are a bit more interesting than, you know, there's nothing awful about white sugar, but when you can get some more natural sweetness in there, it, you get a bit more complexity of flavour, and I think that that adds a bit of specialness. God, I'm really struggling with English this morning, but you know what I'm trying to say. It sort of adds a bit of interest. So, yeah, I thought he did a good job of hitting the baking brief, um, and I thought sometimes that's nice to see. Jane doesn't look so convinced. Go on, Jane. Well, for me... I thought they looked very pretty, isomalt aside, and I'm exactly with you on the isomalt, you, you don't want to eat it. Um, so unless you need to have a big structure, uh, you know, on a little cake like that, you want to be able to eat the decorations. But where I have an issue, not, not with the flavours of the pudding, not with the decoration, both looked gorgeous, but I believe that if you've got pistachios on the top and rose petals are not great to eat, actually. They like eating little bits of paper, to be perfectly frank. Mm. Unless you grind them to a powder, which my very good friend Tom from my series does, which is lovely. If it's on the top as a decoration, I expect to find it in the dessert. Mm. So I, I like to 
if I'm doing something with nuts, I like to decorate with nuts because it then lets anybody know it's got nuts in it. So if you've got a problem with a nut, but it also tells you or hints at what the flavours are. So the rose and the pistachio, I would have almost expected it inside to be rose and maybe raspberry and maybe pistachio. The, the decoration didn't bear any relation to what was inside except for the little bit of decorated fig, which I thought was delightful, to be perfectly honest. So that was my only gripe. I thought he did a lovely job, but I would like to see the decoration more in tune with what the pudding's made of. Yeah, I, I actually completely agree with that, Jane. Um, that had slipped my attention. It's sort of good practice for it if you're selling your goods, but it's a really good idea that when you look at a cake, you know what's in it. And um, if what's on the top isn't matching what's on the inside, I think that's a little bit of an oversight. I think you're dead right on that, Jane. Uh, I haven't noticed that one. I agree as well. Oh, we're so in agreement today. <laughs> it's, it's wonderful. <laughs> I, I even felt, and, and uh, no disrespect to Dawn, but I even felt her little flowers on the top of her puddings weren't really needed. She'd got the orange and the apple in there. And again, some decoration that hints at the... She'd done some candied orange, but I think you just need decoration that tells you what's inside rather than sticking a little flower on top as well. One baker who definitely didn't go too overboard on the decorations was Kevin oh. with his uh, clouty dumplings and whiskey creme anglaise. Now, Paul said this was the wrong recipe. He did say they were dry and stodgy and a bit messy, but he did mention at the beginning that a Christmas pudding is a perfect example of a steamed pudding, something that's also quite heavy and stodgy. So do we think this was the wrong recipe for steamed pudding week? I do think it was a mistake, actually. And I think this happens to lots of people in the tent, including me, is that you get an idea, your first thought, and you're like, oh, this would be a brilliant idea. And you like the idea and you don't want to let go of the idea. And I think uh, he wanted to do something Scottish and traditional. And so I completely understand why he did it. But I think... I think the judges were right. They were like, this is not showing, this is not showing uniformity because it's, you know, steamed in a cloth. And um, you you can't really, de he's like, well, you don't traditionally decorate it very much. You're like, okay, fine, but that's not going to help you in this competition. I think he was very hung up on doing something that was very personal to him, but I don't think it served him very well. And I think that that is a mistake that lots of people make in the tent. But um, luckily, he's uh, still around to correct that mistake for later weeks. Could he have made a clouty dumpling in a pudding, little pudding tin, and then decorated it a bit more differently to make it make it nicer? I, I don't know. I've never had one. I'm, I'm sure he could have bake-offed it, if you know what I mean. I, I think that's right. I think it, you, you're absolutely right. It needed bake-offing, I think. I think to take the flavours, traditional flavours, and do something that is a lighter more kind of modern dessert, I think, would uh, would have been a really nice idea. And I, actually, I have to say, I love the idea of whiskey creme anglaise. Yeah. So, yeah. I just got a little gripe about the decoration in a couple of places. I mean, Max's, Paul said in the judging, cream has melted because it's warm in the tent. But they put all their cream on warm puddings. Yes. <laughs> so when I saw at the beginning, they were all going to put piped creme Chantilly on the top. Um, I thought, well, that's going to look a disaster. Carol called it creme. Creme chinchilla, chinchilla yeah. But Yamush put cream on the top, didn't he? And it didn't melt. Uh, but Maxie's melted. It wasn't because it was hot in the tent. It was because I hope the puddings were warm when they decorated them because you want a nice warm pudding. Don't you? I think sometimes the judges are a little forgiving when they're in their feedback not not they'll sort of suggest that something isn't your fault when actually it clearly is your fault and I've been the beneficiary of that on one occasion uh, myself so I I won't be too uh, I won't complain about that too much but yeah you're right Jane it wasn't because it was too hot it was but either either she didn't stabilize her cream or the pudding melted it you know <laughs> um, yeah I'm, I'm sure that was the case but I think all in all it was a pretty nice opening for dessert week mm -hmm. very british i think now yeah it's sort of um Lovely. you know the british puddings a lot of them are steamed you know that that really is a very traditional thing so for for us um we're so often in france aren't we or mexico as we were last week so it was nice to do something that was sort of very quintessentially oh. english in terms of puddings. Oh. i liked it oh i did too so 
we move on to our technical challenge and we had the lovely lemon meringue pie with absolutely no method. Now, this is something we have seen before. I believe Nancy, Louis and Richard in their final technical had no method for theirs. Dan is waving his arms frantically like a Muppet. So <laughs> I will come over to Dan. What were your thoughts I have on this, so Dan? Thoughts. I'm, I'm sorry, I know I talk so much, but I just really wanted to voice my opinion on this. This is one of those things that I think the public will think is really impressive that they made it without a recipe. And I just think, so what? And I'll tell you why. Um, <laughs> because I'm sure Jane and Howard are exactly the same as me. When you get out a recipe for something, you look at the ingredients list and you measure out the ingredients and then you don't look at the recipe again. You might look at the, the, the temperature and the baking time, but you don't read the method, do you? Because you know how to make it by this point. It's not difficult. It, it reminded me of, I used to be a classical musician and people used to be amazed that you would play concertos from memory you think no you have to memorize it in order to be able to play it in the first place do you know what i mean it's sort of it's actually not a difficult thing and for me not to read a recipe method is an is a non-event and of course for someone like shabira who'd never made one before yes that was going to be difficult but for anyone who's made a lemon meringue pie not having the method is not that impressive it's to me that's not a huge obstacle at all I, I thought it was quite liberating in a way. I would have, I would have enjoyed that. I, I think you, you know, you've got all the ingredients there, so just do it. I think, I think it's great. I, I loved that challenge. Yeah, oh, I think- absolutely. I'm with Dan, every step of the way. I mean, it's like making a, a flavored cake. You, if it's something new, you, you, I never even look at. Honest, nine times out of ten, I didn't even look at a recipe, but um, that's hardly ever read it unless it's something I've never made before. Um, but then we are really um, experienced bakers by this stage, I think. But one would expect them all to be able to bake a pastry case blind, put it together nicely, make a curd. There are two ways you can make a lemon curd, aren't there, with or without cornflour. They had their cornflour there, which would make it set better in the oven, and make a meringue. Uh, you know, it wasn't difficult, to be honest, without uh, without any instructions. I think we have one in the final. Like make a make a Victoria sponge. Mm. My criticism was I made mine too big. How can you make a sponge too big? Too, too much cake? That's That's not a thing. Too much cake is not a thing. Absolutely. I do have a question for you all. In the technical challenge, we often see through the cameras that we can see the method, but we don't always get to see the ingredients list. Is everything written with quantities like a traditional recipe? Is that what they is that what they're like? Yeah, in my experience, um they don't weigh out they they don't weigh them out in advance for you. They you know, they give you the option of messing that up as well. Is they gave us all the weights of everything um the only thing i was thinking there was a few variations that people could have done i would never make a lemon curd in a saucepan and that was something that dawn did and i don't know whether that contributed to her having less uh lemon curd so that's interesting um also the i did hear a reference i think it was janush or maybe sandra i can't remember now actually saying he was going to make a french meringue and I thought I would have made a Swiss meringue. I would always make a Swiss meringue to put on top of a lemon meringue pie because it it doesn't weep um, in the same way that a French meringue can. So there were, there were, there was definitely a little bit of variation um, in the way that you could have made it. But I would have thought every one of those people should have been able to make up something looking very much like a lemon meringue pie without any instruction. I, we have disagreement there, Jane. Well, um, only uh, I like a French meringue on mine, and yes, it does weep eventually if you cut it the next day. You've got some syrup coming up but when we had to make citrus meringue tarts i made a french meringue on the top and it does definitely crisp and have a different texture as long as you're eating it that day it's great a lot of the bakers in my year chose to blow torch a swiss or, or italian meringue on the top and mary berry didn't like that she likes the crisp ones she likes she likes the french meringue that's then baked so you know it, it's Whatever you prefer, really. The problem with a French meringue is it does weep. Uh, that that if you haven't cooked it long enough, if you haven't incorporated your sugar properly, it will leak faster than it should, which is probably the problem here. Uh, but if you do make it a French meringue next day, you've got this slop in the fridge, but it's still delicious to eat. To be perfectly honest, I do do curd 
in a pan rather than in, in a bain marie. Was it Dawn though who who was see passing it through a sieve? I thought she'd got some lumps in there. I thought she might have overcooked her curd, in which case she was then trying to get the lumps out and in the process of doing that you're losing volume as well so i think she'd slightly possibly overcooked it and then had to strain it um which i think reduced the amount of curd that she got to put in a tart it's time isn't it what do they have two hours a a curd in a bain-marie can take ages to thicken. Mm. maybe that's why they did that because i always Always used to make mine in a bain marie unless I'm really pushed yeah. for time, and then I'll do it in a saucepan. But it's it's much nicer if it's done in a bain marie, and much less chance of burning it or it turning into scrambled egg. I find lemon curd doesn't take too long. I think if you use a less acidic fruit like an orange, that can take forever. Mm. But the, because the lemon is is very sharp, that usually is not too bad. It's usually done in ten minutes, I think. Well, ten minutes. Well, yes, I suppose, because when I made it in the tent, I made it without any corn flour. They were obviously using corn flour. I thought they actually all did pretty well. The only yeah. one that did alarm me was Shibira, who was obviously just having a bit of a flap. And I think, you know, if you haven't made them before and there's no method, I can understand why that would be a bit alarming for her. One of the things she said, she was line baking her pastry case, which she didn't realise she even had to do, but she decided to copy everyone else. I'm glad she did. That was definitely a smart move. Yeah. Um, but then she said, oh, I'll only part cook it. I don't want to overcook it. And uh, for anyone who is uh, listening, when you blind bake, you cook it all the way. You don't have it, you know, mostly cooked. You cook it until it is completely cooked because then you're putting a wet filling on the top. Nine times out of ten, it's a wet filling. And that curd is going in wet. You know, it will set in the oven, but it's going in wet. And if it is, you know, even even a little bit not completely cooked, it's just going to go straight through it. It's all going to break apart. Some people will even do tricks like using a little egg white uh, to cover the base of their pastry cases to help prevent leaks. I'm not sure that actually does very much, but we, we take extra precautions to make sure that our pastry is really crisp and it's not going to get soggy. And um, she definitely made a, a big mistake there. I seal it with egg white or egg yeah. or whatever I have talking about. Say you're making a, a tart that needs, um, is it, not being cooked once it's got the filling in it. So you're adding a uh, creme pat to it. You need something to seal that pastry because the creme pat will really make it go soggy. Um, some people use a white chocolate on a tart that you're not going to recook, which makes this horrible crispy layer, which I don't like. Hot jam will do it as well. That'll just put a protective seal in to stop the custard or, or anything wet soaking in. But yeah, I do. I, on a rebaked tart, I'll put in either a layer of um, egg white or, or if I'm doing a quiche, it'll be a bit of the uh, beaten egg in there just to give you that extra bit of insurance against a soggy bottom. I'm just, I was just surprised with Shabira so- that... To get to this stage of bake-off and you didn't know how to blind bake uh, a pastry case. Well, she came in eighth in the technical with Dawn following up in seventh, Carol sixth, Kevin fifth, Sandro fourth, Maxi third, Abdul second and Janusz coming first. Abdul having a really good day and Sandro having a pretty good day as well. So those two potentially in the lead going into the showstopper. Now, we love to answer your questions, everybody. Thank you for all the questions you have coming through to us. We have a message here from Hayley. Hayley said she's so excited to see Bake Off back and the podcast. And she has a question particularly here for Jane. Jane has touched on this before, but the amount of single-use plastic in the show doesn't seem to be getting any better. Do you think they should be doing a better job of showing how to bake with more reusable equipment? Hopefully, nobody will be cutting up silicon bakeware this year. (laughs) Jane, what do you think? Well, yeah, absolutely. I see no reason why they should be using single-use plastic in the tent I have probably said this a hundred times before on the podcast. I haven't used any cling film in my house for four years, at least four years, actually. Um, There's nothing wrong with sticking something in a Ziploc bag that you can then rinse out or putting a plate on top of something if you're chilling it in the fridge or if you don't want your custard to form a, a skin, pressing some baking parchment right down on the surface. And for me said this before I do think Bake Off has a responsibility to educate in many ways 
and by just having some comments about not using single-use plastic if and when you can avoid it I think would be a really responsible thing to do. Even the disposable piping bags you don't have to use them once and throw them in the bin. I mean sometimes I'm tempted if I've done a big class and I've got three or four there and I think oh I can't be bothered to wash them up and then you go no 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 get a grip wash up your plastic piping bags because they will go on and on and on and on and the fact that they go on and on and on and on just like me um it means they won't break down if they're composted or in landfill and I just think we we ought to avoid it as much as we possibly can within reason I know we all have busy lives but within reason just reuse it or don't use it at all so yes I think Bake Off ought to champion the not using of single-use plastics I think it, it it they're missing a trick there are a few more options these days as well. There are, for example, um, pipe, you know, disposable piping bags that are perfectly good and they are fully compostable. So there are more options than there were in the past. But I have to say, Jane, as much as I know it makes me a terrible person, I am partial to a little bit of cling film myself. No. Mm. Oh, damn. <laughs> At least uh, Jane and I are offsetting that. So, I feel like yeah. I'm being confronted by my disappointed parents. <laughs> <laughs> Well, thank you very much, Haley, for that question and for bringing up some shame in Dan there. We have, a, we have a question here from Mary Kay, who lives in Minnesota, uh, who is a big fan of Bake Off. She has a question about self-raising flour. She says, Bake Off has inspired me to try more British recipes, but I was often flummoxed by the self-raising flour. American recipes typically call for all-purpose flour, and my attempts to bake British recipes with homemade self-raising flour usually met with failure. I often found this allegiance to self-raising flour frustrating, but after a horrible experience with a Victoria sponge, I decided to get myself some self-raising flour, and what a revelation. So how did self-raising flour become such a staple in British recipes? Howard, would you like to... Oh, Dan has his hand up. Dan, would you like to field that one? I, I never use self-raising flour. I don't. I, no, I always use plain flour. Partly because we do so many classes with people in the US, and I just think, oh, it's going to be tricky for you to get hold of it. But I just think it's easier to be in control of the amount of raising agent that you're putting in. So I, I always use plain flour. Sorry. Yeah, I would copy and paste Howard's answer. I always use plain flour and add the leavening separately. Um, so really all self-raising flour is is just a little bit of a time-saving device it's got a bit of leavening agent and a little bit of salt so it just means that for example if you're making a victoria sponge it's literally just eggs sugar butter self-raising flour so it's very although we always add a bit more ba- leavening don't we always add another spoon of baking powder i do anyway um but yeah i find it easier um because baking powder because self-raising flour is not so readily available in every country of the world I think it's just a lot more inclusive to write my recipes with plain flour and then add uh, the leavening agent separately. Um, but yeah, it's very popular in this country. And I think it's popular in other countries like Canada. I think it might be popular or Australia. Um, so it's definitely sort of a British, something the British have spread. Um, but yeah, I'm not I'm not a huge fan. I'm not I'm not committed to it. Well, I have done a little bit of research, and if anybody wants to look up Henry Jones, who was the baker responsible for inventing self-raising flour, his flour meant that hard tack, which is like flour and salt and very sort of not particularly nice bread that sailors used to eat. This self-raising flour meant that the Navy could have nicer foods. So that was established in 1845. So if anybody wants to look up Henry Jones, that's where the self-raising flour came from. So a history lesson as well. So thank you very much, Mary Kay, for that question. I think we have time for one more. A question from Melinda in Tucson, Arizona. And her question is, when there are bakes that aren't cooked enough... The chocolate bread challenge in Jane's series springs to mind. Do they get taken home by someone, baked more and then eaten, or do they just get thrown away? I hope it's the former. It would feel like such a shame to toss them all out if they needed more cooking. So, Jane, you've got the eco questions this week. What was it like in your week? (laughs) Well, well, yes, well, we did have rather a disastrous... um, bread week um, and I put that down to the temperature in the tent and not enough time so if you want to avoid throwing a lot of stuff away especially in bread week give them more time to bake it or make the tent a bit warmer 
But no, it all got chucked away. Uh, if if Paul wouldn't eat it, nobody would eat it. And the problem is, as as nice as the idea is that somebody would take it home and bake it, we're all away from home. So the crew were all in a cheap hotel somewhere down the motorway. We're in some okay hotel a little bit down the road and the judges and the presenters are in somewhere really fancy somewhere well <laughs> and they're called the talent and we're called the bakers, bakers and the others are called the crew so that kind of gives you and we're below the crew really in that level and no, no, nobody would have an opportunity to take it and bake it and to be honest very often if things aren't terribly well cooked by stuffing them back in the oven it really doesn't help them Maybe it would be the bread, but uh, sadly it gets wasted. But there's very little waste during Bake Off, I would say, because unless Paul refuses to eat it, members of the crew will almost eat anything. I think they've been to enough Bake Off recordings over the years that they're quite happy to tuck in and poor things. They work very, very long hours and very, very, very long days. So, yes, sadly, uncooked bread probably gets binned, but most of it gets eaten. Yeah, you also have to bear in mind that the judging is often quite a bit after when they come out of the oven. So um, they'd often be stone cold by that point anyway, and putting them back in the oven is not going to do them any favours. We were told that the food that wasn't eaten by the crew and the the food food that gets glowing feedback is immediately eaten by the crew. Um, We were told that it was given to the livestock on the estate, but I think Jane told us that isn't true. I don't, but we were told it was given to the livestock, like the pigs would eat it. Well, I don't know if they have pigs. They've got a lot of sheep. I, I love the, I love this idea that they told you kind of stories to, to, to sort of mollify you in that way. <laughs> no, it's fine. It's fine, Dan. It's going to the livestock. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you very much, everybody, for all your questions. Keep them coming in. You can email thebakedown at bakewithalegend.com or you can send us a message on social media. We are at Bake with a Legend on all platforms. And finally, we have our showstopper challenge, a mousse dessert with a surprise at the centre, including a baked element. Now, this seemed to be a challenge for everybody, some more than others. And according to Dawn, it was a gelatin fest. Now, Howard, do you think this is a good challenge to show off everybody's baking skills? Oh, do you know, I don't like gelatin. I don't, I've said it before, haven't I? And I know it's got its uses, and I know this is probably one of those things where it's almost impossible to do it without, but I would have still had a go with Agar at, at this. But was it Carol? Who was, I don't know how many sheets she was putting in her. Oh, it's going to tell Oh. Do you know, I did a calculation because I must, everyone in the UK uses these, uh, there's platinum grade leaf gelatin. They're the ones that are available in the shops and they set 250 mils of liquid each. So by my calculations, she had enough gelatin to set seven and a half litres of water. (laughs) (laughs) So I just thought, my God, which is like, that's like... 15 pounds in weight for the Americans out there. Like, it's, it's a huge amount. Um, and when they said her, um, one of her mooses was a bit gelatinous, I wasn't too surprised. Were you no. <laughs> but I think as, it's not just the texture either. I think the more you put in, the stronger the flavour gets. So you, you are able to taste it as well. So I think it, 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 was, it must have been like a little pork pie or something. A little umami. <laughs> 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 oh, delightful. Well, Dawn definitely struggled with this as well. Um, her jelly flowers obviously did not set um, or broke apart somehow, and the moose toadstool was lost. I really loved that she called it her lemon redemption jelly with added basil, but hopefully not basil faulty. I think maybe she uh, she missed yeah. that brief. Jane, what do we think of, of Dawn's attempt there? Oh, I mean... Poor old Dawn, she gave it a go, didn't she? I thought the flavours sounded lovely and and on paper it sounded good. It it was probably a hot day. I think Paul had said earlier that it was hot in the tent for the steam pudding challenge, so it must have been hot. And we did a gelatin week or we did a mousse week when it was hot. So they're all going to be struggling to get their their mousses set. Um, Dawn's idea was lovely, but I think for all of them, with the exception of Carol, when you cut into all of them, 
you couldn't see what the surprise was because everything had smudged and squidged and the only one that looked as though it was a strawberry or whatever it was supposed to be in the middle was was carols yeah. um sadly they didn't particularly like the cake but so i think somebody said lovely planets or something when they cut into abdul's well i would you know if you didn't know you wouldn't have known they were planets it was just sort of like cake pops stuck in and i thought that sounded disgusting so i don't like cake pops very much so i think well i don't i'm sorry i don't like cake pops very much it i just thought in principle the challenge was good but as when we did our one of our christmas ones it had our brief was it had to be there had to be a present for somebody so it had to be something specific inside and if you don't give anybody enough time to set something and the mousses needed to set, so you've got a very clean cut. Whatever's going on in the middle is going to get lost because it's all going to smudge. So I think it might have been better in the time that they gave them to have layers or, or different flavours in it rather than make it a surprise in the middle because they all got a bit too carried away. And then whatever the surprise was got completely lost. So I thought that was a bit disappointing. And I've actually said on Carol's best cut cake, I think, because it did look Mm. very good when it was cut. Uh, Sadly, she had a tough cake and the the chocolate layer was too gelatinous and things. But um, as far as creating... The effect that they wanted to create, I thought it was very disappointing. I think you're right, Chuck. I think I think Paul was was quite kind actually in some respects that he was pointing out what things looked like so oh, that I we could tell. I'm being so harsh today. Do you think? Sorry, I think one. I'm I'm the pantomime villain of this podcast, and <laughs> I think go on then, Dan. Beat beat. I thought, okay, admittedly, they weren't amazing, but some of them were quite good. And I thought Janish's was outstanding. Like, it, there was, he had all the rainbow colours on it and it really looked like a cupcake. Oh, yeah, so, okay. Yeah, sorry, I, I missed Janish's. I thought it was good. If, if he had done something other than whipped cream, because that meant got yeah. all the and that was good. Yes, I agree. Yep, sorry, Janish, yours was, yours was great. The thing that made Sandro's impressive wasn't actually what the brief was. You know, the fact that he made a ball of mousse cake mm. was amazing, but that actually wasn't the brief. So although yeah. it was great that, you know, it would have been good if the surprise was... Uh, we're splitting hairs here, but, you know, it was impressive in a different way than maybe the judges were hoping for when they set the challenge. But, yeah, I thought some of them were good, and it's it's just a shame that... TV is such a visual thing, and when it doesn't look amazing, I think it's hard not to feel disappointed as a viewer. And, you know, that may not be a reflection on their baking abilities. It may be a reflection on the time and the heat and everything else. But it it was a bit of a shame visually, but there were some standouts, I thought. And we will rely on the judgment of Paul and Prue when they say that, uh, you know, Dawn's tasted delicious. I'm sure it did. It sounded delicious. I I can understand Dawn's tasting delicious. I must say, though, some of them look great. I mean, I I I actually like the look of Kevin's. I liked his little dog and the bones and everything. But a lot of people had smothered theirs in buttercream. And I just thought that combination of the buttercream on the outside of a mousse cake was Ooh, a bit, bit too sweet for me. That's, that's I think all. you're right. Actually, mousse is nice because it's quite, it's creamy. It's sort of, mm. you know, it, and yeah, to contrast that with something very brightly sweet, actually, that doesn't make a lot of sense, does it? No. Yeah. And when I was saying I was disappointed with the inside, some of the outsides, I agree, looked fabulous. Abdul's, I thought, looked lovely, didn't it? With that wonderful mirror glaze. Um, and Yanush is well. Typical cartoon style, I think, is what he goes for, which I I absolutely loved. So on the outside, I thought they they looked fab. I thought Carol's looked nice, Kevin's looked nice, Sandro's looked pretty good. Um, I, I mean, yes, in fact, I think all of them looked all of them looked pretty. Oh, I, yeah, I wasn't mad about Sabira's. She had she had a bit of problems with hers, didn't she? I don't. Think <laughs> I don't think I would have put a biscuit into a jelly because I think that biscuit would have gone very soggy before the jelly set. So like great TV though, wasn't it? It was good TV. <laughs> <laughs> when she had all those cocktail sticks stuck in the top, I was like, "What are you doing, girl?" Like, it's so much time. 
Maybe she took them out when they went into the fridge, so it didn't have holes all over it. I would have given up. I would have just put it in the fridge and be done with it. Like, yeah. <laughs> Well, something that definitely Shabira and Dawn did is they just kept going. They didn't have a meltdown. They were disappointed in what they'd done, maybe, but they kept going. Dawn put her little jelly flowers in, even though they didn't work. And the judges said that definitely helped the overall taste. So a moral to everybody is just to to keep plowing on. Shabira as well, continuing the melon theme from her signature, which she's done now for three weeks, <laughs> continuing the signature theme into the showstopper. So I'm excited to see what she will do next week. That is quite, I'm surprised that that hasn't been picked up. And I'll tell you why. I made, in Bread Week, there was orange in my Chelsea buns, which she made for the signature. And then there was also orange in the showstopper bread that I made. And Paul gave me so much grief over that. He's like, do you know any other flavours or words to that effect? You're right. She, there has been a bit of tra- copying from, I don't want to say copying, but yeah, like similar flavours. I remember Sandro the other week. It was sort of very similar flavours between his uh, and Showstopper. I'm curious that hasn't been picked up on. That is a very good point. And let's talk about Maxi's Showstopper as well. She had a vanilla mousse lemon curd cake with a strawberry mousse as well and a Swiss roll sun. Jane, what did you think of Maxie's? Well, I was a little bit confused because she made a Swiss roll for the sun, I suppose, in the middle, which looked like a perfectly nice Swiss roll. But then she had a round cake and she put this long roll into the cake tin. And I'm not sure that that would have given you the same view for every slice it would have worked very well had she done a rectangular cake so I'm not quite sure how she constructed that so they got a perfect cut when they cut it um other than that it sounded all right didn't it strawberry and vanilla mousse and lemon curd it's the first time she's made mousse she keeps saying it's the first time she's done something but she must have done it in practice otherwise you know how could she then come and do it in the tent um but yeah it was it was all right it was probably not up to her normal standard perhaps because we expect so much. I just was very confused how that long Swiss roll was going to fit in that round tin, but there must have been something in the editing that we missed. Yes, I think you're right, Jane. If you remember from, um, I think it was last year, it was, I, I forget, it was one of our European friends, it was either Giuseppe or Jürgen. They did, I think it was Giuseppe actually, they did a reveal and you saw, they had a sausage that sort of went all the way around in a circle so that when you cut a slice, you would always get that circle. And I, yeah, I couldn't fathom how that could work with the Swiss roll. So yeah, that's. It, I don't know if it was a reveal in the same way that other people pulled it off. I think it's quite rare, but I, I, I do remember on occasions where bakers have said you have to cut it from this side. Um, but I think that I think you're right. That does defeat the object if you if you can only cut it from one angle to get the uh, effect that you're looking for. Yeah, especially in a round cake. Who, who knows where you're going to cut it from, and that kind of should go against them. But anyway, maybe something happened that we didn't see. But she, Maxie did an all right job this week, didn't she? She just wasn't her normal outstanding self. But you can't, as I know, you can't be like that every week, can you? <laughs> For me. Um, but yeah, I think her flavours are always good. She never goes yeah. crazy with the flavours, and she delivers really classic, delicious things. Mm-hmm. So I always give Maxie the benefit of the doubt. Um, but yeah, I did think she slightly missed the brief and, you know, maybe the uh, cynical side of me would have liked to have seen her at least get a negative comment for that. Sorry, Maxie, that's awfully harsh. Now, let's talk about our star baker. This week was Sandro. Very well deserved, I thought. And uh, he's been waiting for a handshake for a couple of weeks now. He almost got one in the signature. He thought he was going to get one. And he finally gets star baker. Howard, do you think this is all too soon? Nope, that doesn't make sense. That doesn't make sense. Howard, what do you think? Yeah, you're right. He's he's been waiting for a while now, hasn't it? And I think this was the week where he, he managed to, to pull everything together. Although, I have to say, I thought Abdul did, a, did had a really good week this week. I thought he, um, you know, apart from his inedible decorations on the steam puddings, um, I thought... I thought he'd done, done well second in the technical and uh, quite a nice-looking um, moose-based surprise. But, yeah, 
Well done to uh, to Sandra. To be honest, I was a little bit surprised that Yanush didn't get it again. Um, but just because I loved what he did this week, he won the technical. He um, had a really nice show stop. I think the signature was a little bit lacking, but maybe he's had it twice already. Maybe uh, the judges have decided to share the love a little bit, or maybe I'm just a bit sweet on Yanush. I don't know. Um, but I rather like his cartoony <laughs> style. It's really colourful and bright, and yeah, it brings me a little joy. So I think maybe I'm just a little sweet on Yanush. I think his slightly overly coconutty sponge in the signature maybe just brought him down. But yes, he is an absolute ray of sunshine. (laughs) (laughs) Very true. Jane, what do you think about Sandro getting Starbaker? Yeah, I I mean, I think he did very well all the way through. He was nice and consistent all the way through. And comments on his showstopper was, looks amazing, clever, astonishing, Good chocolate moves, well designed and well thought through. So I can't find a negative comment here um, for Sandro. And he did uh, attempt something that was quite difficult to construct for that to hold together in four and a half hours and without freezing it rock hard. So I, I can't see looking through anybody I would have liked to have seen overtake him. I think Janusz is... Um, yeah, it, his showstopper was nice, but maybe it was the over coconutty. I, I don't know. I, um, I, I think there can't be much between the two of them, to be perfectly honest. Back, I think you're right. I don't think Sandro had a single negative comment, did he? So I think no. it would have been very hard for anyone to. Uh... I was just—I just loved the reveal on Yanish's uh, gelatin cake. Uh, You're absolutely right. Sandro had no negative comments apart from Prue saying that she didn't have much confidence in him because there was so much to do. But he proved her wrong. And thanks, Prue. <laughs> very, very supportive comments there, Prue. Let's talk about our elimination. Obviously, we have to lose somebody every week. It feels quite personal as we're halfway through the challenges now we had to lose such a lovely character this week unfortunately it was it was curtains for compost carol she'd had a tricky week she's had a tricky few weeks but it was just her time to go howard what do we think say about saying goodbye to carol yeah i'm sad to see carol go uh, I mean, I know she says she's got some weeding to do now, but it's no. I I, lo- I loved having her around. I thought I thought she was great. I think um, Dawn had had a difficult week as well. Obviously, she came slightly lower than Carol in the technical. Her signature they'd said was a little uneven. Dawn wasn't happy with that, was she? Dawn doesn't get doesn't like criticism. I don't think, and I can understand that. I think there's quite quite a few of us like that. Um, but uh, but yeah, the, technically, what she'd done with with her mousses and the cake um, were delicious. So I think Carol lost out on, well, basically she'd lost out on that signature and um, the toughness of her cake. So yeah, but still sad to see her go. Yeah, I think Carol um, seemed to be one of those people who was struggling a little bit to deliver what she could do at home in the tent and. Uh, Whilst we never like to judge by past weeks, or we certainly say we don't, if if you're throwing up Carol against Dawn, I think Dawn had some really sparkling moments, and Carol maybe had had given all she had to give. So I'm not. I mean, it's sad when anyone goes, but I do think it was the right decision. I think there's a uh, a lot more still to come from Dawn. Um, so um, yeah, I think it was fair. Yeah, I agree. It's a tough one. I mean, I think Carol has been teetering on the edge a bit, and this time she toppled over i always say you only need to be better than one other person in the tent to get through to next week unless of course they're having a two-person elimination which throws it completely out the window um and i think this week it was it was carol's turn um and i should be really sorry to see her go because i wish i could have pink hair i'd really love to have you can i'm not sure i could pull that off (laughs) to be honest during lockdown i bleached my and then dyed it blue and pink. You can do it too. I mean, I can't guarantee you. Wow. You can do it. <laughs> uh, yeah, but yeah, but I don't think I can. Really. Is that okay on the golf course? Will you be allowed that on the golf course, Jane? Oh no, I might get drummed out, asked to leave until my hair grows back. I don't. I, I don't. Yeah. <laughs> Very strict on dress code, you know. <laughs> Well, thank you so much, Dan, Jane and Howard for joining us this week. 
Thank you to all our listeners for listening each week. If anybody wants to send us a little bit of extra love, please do leave us a review on the podcast. It would really help us out. If anybody is wanting to join some of our Baker the Legend classes, we have so much going on right now. We are getting ready for Christmas. If anybody has any presents left to buy, you can always buy a gift voucher, which makes the perfect Christmas gift. And you could be baking along with one of our legends very soon. So we will see you all next week for Halloween week. But until then, thanks, everybody. Goodbye. Bye. Bye. heard a stripped media production. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started.